Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Friends, welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. We have a busy day today on the program. We have had so many requests to take you live to one of our tour events or one of our partner events or a conference where I speak. And we're going to do that today. Recently, I had the opportunity to speak at the Wilberforce Weekend Conference in Washington, D.C., put on by the Colson Center for Christian Worldview and the Colson Fellows Program. It was a tremendous event. I was one of a few other speakers. And you're going to hear that message today. And I was asked as the historian, based on my work publishing, unimaginable what the world would be like without Christianity to answer the question is Christianity still good for the world and to answer that from a historical cultural perspective so stay with us as we listen to this message again live from Washington DC where it was recorded and then secondly I am delighted to introduce you to a dear friend of mine by the name of Bob Sprott who is a newly christened Colson fellow member he was actually at the Wilberforce weekend graduating as a Colson fellow And you're going to hear his incredible story today on the broadcast because we have an event that you need to know about that's going to be happening in just a couple of weeks. So, again, lots to discuss on the program. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show, friends. I'm welcoming a dear friend to the program for the first time. I have joining us from the Grand Rapids area, Mr. Bob Sprott. Bob, thanks for being on the broadcast today. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Bob is a dear friend. He and his wife, Sherry, as I mentioned, they live and they work in the Grand Rapids area. But Bob is a recent graduate, May of 2019, of the Colson Fellows Program, put out by the wonderful Colson Center for Christian Worldview. And friends, if you listen to this program with regularity, you know that recently, very recently, we were talking about the Wilberforce Weekend on this broadcast with both John Stone Street and Warren Cole Smith. I had the privilege of being one of the speakers there. It was a dynamic event. Uh, And it was at this event where I reconnected with Bob Sprott, our guest on the program today. And I want to give you some background on Bob. He's a native St. Louis Missourian, married with two sons, a daughter-in-law, and a granddaughter who is 21 months old. He's been in business for 43 years, running his company, the Sprott Organization, since 1980 there in the Grand uh, Rapids area. But Bob is a great example for everyone listening right now of what can happen with businessmen and women when you get activated and you maximize your spiritual gifts for the kingdom of God. Bob, you're involved in so many things, it's hard for me to keep it straight, but I love to interview people, real people, doing really incredible things across the country on this program and highlighting these great thinkers who are active in our communities. You're co-founder of the New Canaan Society. Can you just give us a brief synopsis of what the New Canaan Society is there in Grand Rapids? 
Yes, absolutely. So the New Canaan Society that began in New Canaan, Connecticut is a good 20, 25 years old. However, about six years ago, two friends and I became aware of it. We checked it out by visiting the Fort Wayne, Indiana chapter and driving home, we decided to give it the old college try and we launched uh, five years ago. We just completed our fifth year actually. And it's grown each year. We kicked off five years ago with Dr. Emerson Egrich on the love and respect mm. subject. And each time we meet, which is twice a month, we have a different speaker and a different topic. And most of those speakers come right from within our group or from in our West Michigan area. Most speakers are not professional, doing it for a living type of speakers. They are businessmen from the community who have navigated something in their life. Frequently, we're talking about tough subjects. And it's just been a great thing for everybody that comes. In fact, tonight we have a special local New Canaan meeting with John Stone Street. And then tomorrow he speaks to our group. Excellent. Now, Bob... I love your personal testimony, having come to faith in Christ through a series of men asking questions through various Bible studies, and this whole notion of asking questions is really what gave birth to our ministry, Christian Thinker Society. It's what this radio show is all about. I receive hundreds of questions every month through AskJJJ.com from our listeners. Can you just give us some nuggets about your personal testimony, and what was it about questions (laughs) that brought you to Jesus Christ? Well, some of this may sound a little silly, but it's actually happened this way. When uh, my wife and I moved to Grand Rapids 41 years ago in 1978, I, uh, I guess I didn't realize the scope of Christian influence that is based here in Grand Rapids. And as I began to try to get established and meet people, I was being asked the question, are you a believer? Hmm. And I would look at them probably with a distant stare but believer in what? What what are you talking about? Mm. And uh, well, they're like, well, you know, do you believe in God? And I said, well, of course. I'm American. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I didn't really understand the question. And then in 1980, when I first established a distinct business here, the gentleman that I did that through was a devout believer, is a devout believer. We're still together all the time today. And he said, you know, I don't think you understand what I'm asking you. And I said, I, clearly I don't. Well, while it took a period of time and a lot of questions, he is the same guy who led me to faith in the early 80s. Wow. And so then I had the good fortune of great mentors, one of whom I still meet with every Tuesday, and we've mm. been meeting for 35 years. Wow. (laughs) And uh, so I've kind of had a seminary education, a little teaspoon at a time. And then the year rolled around where, well, why don't you start teaching people? And I actually experimented with our own sons. Uh, We began to meet in our own home with our two boys. And I felt like I had two left feet for a while, right? Yep, exactly. and then started leading groups in various places and leading toward our event in northern Michigan 13 years ago 
we were involved in helping to start a summer church. And uh, 12 years ago, I began a men's study that we still do, a memorial through Labor Day. So this idea of graduating as a Colson Fellow, and you may be familiar with this, Jeremiah, where you submit to them a three-year plan. Yes. Uh, so what are you going to do with what we've helped you learn, right? Well, and let me jump in with you, Bob. So you, th- this is amazing. So your testimony, questions, coming to faith in Christ, you start teaching. Of course, you're the pastor of your own home, as I say every father should be. It was so powerful what you're saying. But fast forward, you hear about the Colson Center. You're involved there, of course. Uh, but you just recently graduated at the event I spoke at in Washington, D.C. You were at the commissioning of the Colson Fellows. You are now a Colson Fellow. And so as part of this amazing trek of becoming a Colson Fellow, pick it up from there as far as the ministry plan, if you would. So I basically uh, woke up uh, February, March range, realizing that I have a three-year plan to uh, put on paper, And in addition to deciding that, well, I'm going to stick with our New Canaan Society, we feel good, I'm going to stick with leading groups here and up north, so what am I going to do new? And truly, out of the blue, we have this beautiful new art center, and I thought, you know, I'm going to find out how much it costs to rent the whole place. Wow. And then I'm going to start recruiting speakers. And then I'm going to raise all the funds that it takes in little bits. I don't want some big sponsor. We've all paid the same amount Mm. because I want the event to be free to all people in the area. I don't want it to just be a in our uh, real estate development up there called Bay Harbor, so to speak. Mm. And so we are now in the midst of engaging local churches. It's going on the radio uh, up there through the Colson Center. And as you know, the speaker field is finalized with yourself and John Stone Street and Emily Colson and Chris Brooks. And when I kind of thought about this deal, I was thinking along the lines of a TED Talk. Yes. Where four great thinkers would tee up something, knowing right up front it's it's not adequate time. It's a 7 to 9 p.m. type of thing. And yet it would keep it vibrant. It's the time of day where I don't think you do a seminar. I think you do kind of a flyover, right? Yeah, right. And then I thought what would also really help is some fabulous music. And fortunately, uh, several folks had just participated in a Kickstarter event to launch a young Korean uh, piano prodigy and his wow. uh, wife, who's a singer. Uh, you will meet these people. You will hear these people, and and we're just excited. Wow. And I mean, Bob, we, this is tremendous for me. It's tremendous for our audience. And I I just want to encourage you and affirm what you're doing. We need more Bob Sprouts across the country, men and women who, yes, they are busy in their business, yes, they're busy in their family, but they realize the call of God extends to everyone, not a few Delta Force full-time professional Christians, as, as Bob alluded to earlier. And so, Bob, we want to invite everyone to join us at the Great Lakes Symposium on Christian Worldview. Now, let me give you the date. It is Thursday, August 1st, 
one night only. So just right around the corner, Thursday, August 1st. It's 7 to 9 p.m., and can you just talk a little bit more about the venue? And it's, as you already mentioned, thanks to your generosity and the generosity of others, this is a free event, and we're going to be answering this very important question, is Christianity still good for the world? What else do we need to know, Bob, and how can we register? So the main thing to know and the difficulty of making something free is we need to know that someone is coming. So on the Colson Center site and on the piece that we are circulating both in print and electronically, there is a link for registration. It appears you're buying tickets, but it comes up free. All you're really doing is registering your name. We can't have people show up who haven't bothered to register. We want to have seats for the folks who who have. Exactly. So in addition to that, Each couple, because most people will probably be couples, but they don't have to be, um, everybody's going to receive a book of each of the four speakers and the brand-new CD that just came out called Walk on Water from the Korean young man named Young Min Yoo. So we think those gifts plus the uh, just being able to be there that evening it is a $25 million state-of-the-art performing arts center. Wow. It is flat gorgeous, and frankly, I think it's going to be great for some of the local people who wouldn't normally be able to afford a ticket to go to the place to come on in. There's no charge tonight. Fabulous. So, again, friends, uh, if you just Google eventbrite.com slash Great Lakes Symposium on Christian Worldview, you can go right to eventbrite.com. Again, that's the Great Lakes Symposium on Christian Worldview. Register your attendance. This is in the beautiful area called Bay Harbor, Michigan, about three hours north of Grand Rapids. I want to invite you to join me Bob Sprott, Pastor Chris Brooks, what a great guy. He's on Moody Radio Daily and a wonderful man. Emily Colson, of course, John Stone Street, who's been on this program a number of times. We're going to pack it all into one night. We want you to be there. And I receive, Bob, hundreds of <laughs> requests of people. I often forget to invite people to my own events across the country on this national program. <laughs> so I want to invite you. Uh, here's where you can join us next. Again, the content is, Is Christianity Still Good for the World? It's really like a mini Wilberforce weekend, isn't it, Bob? It is, exactly. We're trying to take uh, much of the content of the three-day conference in D.C. in May and cram it into a two-hour time frame. And we're also going to invite people, and this is the uh, Delta Force part or the uh, A Few Good Men, Women part. Some folks might want to become uh, a Colson Fellow, and we're going to make it uh, evident that night. How does that work, and how do I do it? Bob, I have one final question before we have to go to a break. And I love highlighting individuals such as yourself who sense God calling them to claim their community or communities for Jesus Christ. I highlighted two sisters in Alabama who put on an event for mental health in February where I was the speaker, Kay Warren, the state attorneys general of Alabama was there. And that event turned into a a two-city event, dual events at the same time. It was so powerful. And it was essentially laymen and women putting on the entire event. And their biggest regret 
afterwards was that more pastors did not get involved. This was truly a grassroots Christian movement that thousands of people were part of. And in view of what you're doing, Bob, you are a very busy man. What is your message to men and women listening to you right now on this radio program who might be just struggling with God's call and and sensing that God wants them to do more, but they maybe don't know the immediate steps? What's your message to them to, to, to join you on the playing field and maximizing what God's doing in their life? Well, I would answer that the way I did to myself when I started a business, and that is that all these little things that we do matter. And I had a business philosophy that worked and served me well called Enough Ants Will Whip an Elephant. And just doing <laughs> all all the little things that, that you do, they all add up. And then I learned something powerful at the Colson Center from John Stone Street um, that said ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. Mm. And so, you know, as we just regular uh, people – you know, in our homes, neighborhoods, businesses, churches, etc. There is no shortage of people that need help who are having right. problems. And we actually can help. We actually can make a difference. And so that's my motivator. So powerful. Friends, our guest again today on the Jeremiah Johnston Show, Mr. Bob Sprott. What a great event. Please join us Thursday, the 1st of August, 7 to 9 p.m. for the Great Lakes Symposium on Christian Worldview. Is Christianity Still Good for the World? Myself, Pastor Chris Brooks, Emily Colson, John Stone Street, Bob Sprott. Fantastic music that evening. And by the way, it's my birthday, so I wouldn't be there. No kidding. <laughs> All right. August, August 1st is my birthday. So listen, I, I wouldn't travel for my family if I didn't think this was important and Ooh, to be a part of. Wow, so I, I didn't inv- know that. <laughs> I would invite all of you to join us. Bob, thanks for your encouragement to be on this broadcast today. We've got to jump to a 90-second break. Bob, I am so excited to join you, and I hope we will see all of you very soon. Thanks so much for joining us, Bob. Thank you. We'll be right back. Friends, this is Jeremiah Johnston. Welcome back to the program. And now I'm going to take you to Washington, D.C. You're coming with me to the Wilberforce Weekend Conference, and you're going to listen to me answer the question, is Christianity still good for the world? What is an undeniable fact of history, and I believe the greatest evidence for the Christian faith today that will resonate with your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, is the undeniable historical fact that Christianity has been a force for good in our world. The evidence, friends, is just simply overwhelming. And yet, if you listen to the voices that are emerging right now in culture, you're going to sense, and I sense it, and I'm sure you sense it, a growing, undeniable hostility towards the Christian faith. I mean, Pew Research released a results of their poll that stated A great majority of atheists and agnostics, 63%, listen to me, believe the church today contributes nothing to help solutions for the great societal problems. Friends, that just simply flies in the face of the facts. And what I want to propose to you today are two principal points. Number one, the church, unified and mobilized, is the greatest 
force for good on the earth. In fact, part three of my book, Unimaginable, What the World Would Be Like Without Christianity, documents, and we can measure this much more than just simply saying, God bless the world with the church. We can actually measure the undeniable impact that Christianity is making today. But point number two has a certain resonance for me this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ, when followed, will always be in conflict with society, culture, and contemporaries. This is the great legacy of the Christian faith. Do you remember the city that Paul the Apostle spent more time ministering in than any other city in the Roman world? It was the city of Ephesus, the second largest city in the Roman Empire. What you may not know about the city of Ephesus is that for 200 years during the birth of nascent Christianity, the early Jesus movement, Ephesus was the slave market capital of the world. And when you think that Saul, who became Paul, began his Christian mission with the message to the Galatians in Galatians 3.28, saying this very powerful passage that in Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, we are all one in Jesus Christ. Can you see him saying that in your mind's eye in the city of Ephesus, home of the Roman slave trade? And don't forget, the Roman Empire was much more than a slave economy. It was a grinding slave machine. Caesar's Gallic Wars actually created a million slaves. Why? So he could pay for his war campaigns. It was a slave economy. Forty percent of the Roman empires were slaves when Paul made that audacious claim. I think of other great saints who have come into conflict with society and culture following Jesus. Think of Polycarp, that second century bishop. If you've been to Turkey to the modern day city of Izmir, that's where Polycarp ministered. And do you remember when Polycarp was martyred for his faith? They said, bring out the atheist. Of course, he was called an atheist because he didn't worship or deify the Roman emperor. Bring out the atheist. Do away with him. The destroyer of our gods. Reminds me of Pliny the Younger. He's writing to Emperor Trajan from Pontus, Bithynia. And he says, I don't really know what's happening. Our temples are crumbling. No one's coming to temple anymore. They are in ruins. We can't stop the Christian movement. Everywhere and in every society, Christianity was constantly coming into conflict with society, with culture, and with contemporaries. And yet when we see what's happening today in the Christian movement, it is an exciting time to be a Christian. Richard Bauckham gives a lower number in an Oxford University press book. 70,000 people a day are coming to faith in Christ, but you have to look at the footnote. The majority of the growth of the church is not in Western countries. The church is becoming winded, extinct. Why? Because most believers have never got beyond their Sunday school understanding of the faith. We no longer have a thinking faith. We've not followed the command of God to love God with our heart, soul, and our mind. And we have an empty-minded church. And friends, this should not be because I'm an optimist. You and I are living in the golden age of Christianity right now. Do you realize that? There is more evidence available to you as a follower of Jesus than at any other time in the history of our church. And our faith, it's simply overwhelming. 
And yet, I want to introduce you to why I wrote the book, Unimaginable, What Our World Would Be Like Without Christianity. My wife and I have Lily Faith, who's 10, Justin, who's 7, and then our triplets, Abel, Ryder, and Jackson. And when I think about them, first I get burdened because I think that our children and our grandchildren are going to grow up in a world none of us could have ever imagined. We have to train them like Lois and Eunice did to young Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.5, they passed on a legacy of faith to their young son and grandson, Timothy. I take my responsibility very seriously to pass on a legacy of faith. But when I think about the world they're growing up in, I wanted to write a book that would simply answer the question of the atheists, the agnostics, the secularists, who wish that religion would just go away, but especially Judeo-Christianity. And my response to the secularist who says that is you may get what you want, but you may not want what you get, if you know what I mean. This is fascinating to me when you study when the church ceases to be in conflict with society, when the church is absorbed by culture, when the church grows breathless and anemic and you can no longer tell the difference between the church and culture, guess what happens, friends? The church dies. We see this in the latest census that was released in Britain. Christianity fell in Britain. Get this, the attrition rate, 5.3 million ex-Christians in the last 10 years in Britain. That's an attrition rate of 10,000 a week. The church, by and large, is dying. In fact, I want to show you a picture of our favorite pizza place. Uh, This goes back about 10 years. They're still in business. If you read the sign carefully, this is a church right opposite Great Clarendon Street in Oxford. And it's a church where everybody just simply died. And the church went out of business. And oddly enough, Freud is the name of the restaurant now inside this abandoned, what was an abandoned church, still in business 10 years later, by the way. I think of the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 10, as I put the work together for unimaginable. And there arose another generation after them. Who's them, by the way? The Joshua generation. Who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Friends, Bible students, within one generation, spiritual decline led Israel and the people of God into complacency, complacency to apostasy, and then outright rebellion against God. My challenge for you and my prayer, honestly, for all of us leaving Wilberforce weekend is that we will apply John 1 and verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Catalumbano in Greek, it actually says the darkness cannot tackle it or take it down. Friends, we only need to let our light shine. And here's the truth. When you read on in the book of John, chapter 1, it says... We are ministering in a world that loves what more than light? It loves darkness more than light. I pray that you will make the commitment to let your light shine and know when you do it, when you pierce the darkness, when you don't allow your faith to be absolved by culture, you will see great works for God. On page 75, after living in this book for three years, I wrote, it's a slippery slope when God is sidelined, Christianity is marginalized, evil reigns. Let me give you my own footnote to my quote. Without God, in societies where Christianity is rejected and marginalized, it's much easier to kill people. It's much easier to enslave. It's much easier to eliminate rights. 
in societies where Christianity is marginalized. And friends, every time history repeats itself, as the adage says, we pay a higher price, don't we? I'm praying that the church will wake up. When I think again of the legacy of the great church, think of the Didache, mid-second century collection of of teachings of Jesus. Not part of the canon, but a work that was inspirational in second century Christianity. This will preach, friends, if you need something to preach on Sunday. Those who persecute the good, who hate truth, who love falsehood, who do not show mercy to a poor person, who are not distressed by the plight of the oppressed, who do not know him who made them, who are child murderers who destroy what God has formed. Is Christianity pro-life? Flip three chapters earlier where the Didache in the second century says Christians should never commit abortion, period. The church came against this injustice again and again. So what does society look like without Christianity? I'm going to share three moments in time. My book is loaded with statistics and examples and lists for you readers out there. There are 35 pages of eight-point font, single-spaced notes in the back to undergird my arguments, but I just want to summarize it. You can count on six things. If you go to countries today like Cuba, China, other places and countries where the Christian faith is marginalized. By the way, have you seen the edited Bible of the People's Republic of China? My wife Audrey and I have a heart for Christian mission in China. We've been to Beijing. We've ministered with the underground church. But the People's Republic of China has actually released an edited Bible that has deleted the Ten Commandments. Why? The government cannot get behind the First Commandment. Do you remember the First Commandment? Thou shalt have no gods before me. It's fascinating. So you can count on this, both in late antiquity, the world in which the Jesus movement emerged, all the way up to modern time, you can count on inequality, moral relativism. Humanity is dehumanized. Survival of the strong and the aggressive, it becomes law of the jungle. If in your worldview there's nothing special, as Peter Singer said, you are not made in the image of God, then the law of the jungle applies. There is no concept of individual freedom. The great, uh, great courses professor Rufus Fears was fond of saying concepts of individual freedom emerged in one place and one place only, the Old Testament, Judeo-Christianity and its values. No purpose, no ultimate meaning. Here's the first snapshot from modern history. In just the last 70 years, more than one half of the world's population turned its back on God. This is a propaganda poster. You recognize the man. Ein Volk, Ein Reich, Ein Führer. One people, one region, one leader. And it was Adolf Hitler who, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, November 1918, because it was lucky, you know, was laying in a hospital bed as a German corporal, and news was brought to him that Germany had been defeated. And he later said glowingly of himself, it was in that moment that he said he would restore the honor of Germany. Hitler, who was a high school dropout, was homeless at one time in Vienna, drank deeply, though, from the well of Machiavelli. And you remember keeping Machiavelli by his bedside, what Machiavelli said about power. Power was the one universal value, power, and power with no morality. Of course, he drank deeply from the well of Nietzsche, deeply 
from the well of Machiavelli, deeply from the well of Darwin. What's fascinating, though, to me is in 1937, Hitler called for the actual elimination of Christianity. He actually had the church question. By the way, we know how Hitler answered the Jewish question. And it was in this time that the church did not capitulate. The church contended with society. There he is, the great professor Ernst Kassemann. He died and he lived well into his 90s. But it was in 1937 with Gestapo in his church that Professor Kassemann stood up and he preached this text knowing that Hitler had called on the destruction of Christianity. Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. Don't you love the boldness, friends? Christianity will always confront culture that is anti-God and anti-faith. Of course, Professor Kaseman was put in prison. By the way, if you want a cryptic comparison, remember Martin Heidegger, the great philosopher of the 20th century, raised, actually thought he was going to join the priesthood, became an, his philosophical, logical end brought him to atheism. So Martin Heidegger had no problem joining the Nazi movement, something he never apologized for to his dying day in 1976. What a clash of worldviews. We've got to step away. We'll be right back to hear more of my message. Is Christianity still good for the world? Stay with us. This is Jeremiah Johnston. Let's go back now to this event in Washington, D.C., where I'm speaking at the Wilberforce Conference, Is Christianity Still Good for the World? If you want to know how deceived Christians can become, there is a Ph.D. doctoral dissertation unpublished from 1960s University of London, A Sociography of the SS Officers, where this fantastic piece of work shows. Do you know who made up the SS? These were the cream of the crop intellectuals of the day in Germany, lawyers, bankers, And as the Ph.D. thesis shows, clergymen. One minister who oversaw thousands of executions later said he did not break the law of love. Do you see how deceived we can become as a church when we blend with society? But it was at this Nuremberg rally that the Hitler youth would sing this song. We are the joyful Hitler youth. We need no Christian virtue, for our Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler, is ever our mediator. No pastor, no evil one can hinder us from feeling as Hitler's children. We follow not Christ, but horse vessel, kind of a Nazi brown shirt martyr, away with incense and holy water. The church be taken away from me. The swastika is redemption on earth. It will I follow everywhere. Baldur von Schirach, take me away. And von Schirach, the leader of the Hitler Youth, did take them away, many of them to their death. I need to say for just 60 seconds something about the Fab Five who created this intellectual environment where racism, eugenics, mass murder, by the way, all in the full scope of the 20th century, the great age of democracy. Hitler would not have been possible in the days of the Kaiser, friends. It's fascinating when you think about how corruption we can become. Now, when I say the Fab Five, I don't mean the Fab Five Michigan basketball team. I mean these five thinkers who should be credited for 
They should get all the credit for moving the world away from a Judeo-Christian motif. Many of these thinkers today are practically deified in philosophical departments around the world. Ludwig Feuerbach, Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, Nietzsche, and Freud. Of course, it was Feuerbach, I want you to know, who said, Now, it's not as it is in the Bible that God created man in his own image, but on the contrary, man created God in his own image. Now, I would agree with him with all the other gods of the Roman Empire, but not of the Christian God. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of the heartless world, the soul of soulless concisions, dusis os opium, I have it in German, des Vokes, the opium of the masses. By the way, his famous quote is not original to him. Marx had no problem with a very free hand using other people's material. Freud and Nietzsche profoundly influenced Western culture. And I want to just say this again, and I go into this at great detail in part two of my book. Nietzsche laid the groundwork for destroying a nation's soul. Freud discovered ways of destroying your individual soul. Of course, it was Nietzsche who said that eugenics was appropriate. And this is scary to me when I take a moment and apply it to our life, how quickly Nietzsche could talk about the loss of the right to live. Don't you hear that echo today? Don't you feel like Nietzsche's ghost is still at work? God is dead, of course, the most famous statement from philosophy. Eugenics comes from a Greek term, friends, that Plato loved. Eugenis, well-born. He talked about keeping the precious metal of Greek pure. And we see this again today at work. Of course, Freud, not all men are worthy of love. Freud wrote in 1930, if I love someone, you have to deserve it. Well, what did Jesus Christ say? We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us and spitefully use us. And of course, as Professor Lennox said, we see their imitation today in Dawkins. I was speaking to a group of students of Florida Gulf Coast University in January. Friends, I may have mentioned this on the webinar. It sticks with me to this day. A young man walked up to me and they said, Dr. Johnston, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy to be loved. I am unlovable. Have you ever had anyone say something like that to you? I was stunned. And yet when university students are listening to the secular humanism that is at work in their classes, that in their life there's no design, no purpose, no good, no evil, just blind, pitiless indifference, we see why suicide rates are at an all-time high today. Why wouldn't they in their life if, as Peter Singer said, there's nothing special to their existence? And so what do we see? There were things about the Christian faith in late antiquity, in the time that Jesus came on the scene, that simply were irresistible in the Roman Empire. Doctrines of racism laid aside. Innovation of charity and justice. Gender equality embraced. Crucifixion games ceased. Dignity of human life taken to new levels. I want to pause and I want to end right on time. And I want to talk about the way in which the Christian movement greatly impacted what we might call today family planning. Now, we're going to read an inscription together. And if you go to five and a half on the ruler here, inches, and you go over to this, to this tear right here. This is a letter from Hilarion dated to the first century B.C. He's a migrant worker writing to his wife, Alice. And this is first century B.C. It's a wonderful love letter, by the way. He really misses her. 
she's going to have their child before he returns. And he writes this in Greek. Eon, ein, theleia, ekbale. If it is female, throw it out. If it's a boy, keep it. If it is female, cast it away. And nobody would have batted an eye in the time of the early Jesus movement. Why? Because we hear this in Sophocles. And, and men, don't get any ideas by any of these quotes. I'm just quoting, women's best jewel is silence, as Sophocles said. A woman must not practice argument. You, just, you, you can't think for yourself if you're a woman. Democritus. Uh, what about, again, friends, we just simply move too quickly past the pages of Scripture We don't do, as Tom Wright said, we don't read the Bible with first century eyes and we miss the impact of its meaning. When Paul writes to Phoebe, by the way, the only place we see Phoebe mentioned in the New Testament is right here in Romans 16.1. He calls her a leader in the church of Cancrea. I ask you to receive her. He's writing to the churches at Rome who will receive the book of Romans. Receive her in a way worthy of the Lord. Give her whatever help she needs. And he writes in Greek, a hapax legomena, the only pace this Greek word pops up in 138,000 Greek New Testament words. She is my prostatis. She is my benefactor and the benefactor of many others also. And you know what's fascinating about Phoebe? It's not like Amazon. You know, does Amazon leave stuff in your garage and just walk away like at my house? When Phoebe is currying the letter to the Romans, 400 miles from where Paul wrote it, she doesn't just leave it at the doorstep of the churches. She stood in Paul's place and she presented the book of Romans to the church leaders at Rome. Do you see the power of that, knowing something of the context? Can you see her? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of you. It's powerful. So when we look at the centrality of women in the life and ministry of Jesus, it's nothing short of astonishing for that time. Rabbi Judah, under whose leadership the Mishnah was compiled, said there's three benedictions we should say. Blessed be he who did not make me a Gentile. Blessed be he who did not make me an ignoramus. And blessed be he who did not make me a woman. Paul emerged from this explicit Jewish chauvinism. When he gives us Galatians 3.28, better to burn the Torah than teach it to a woman, Rabbi Judah said. So now we're going to have fun uh, reading an inscription. This is the Sophia inscription in the Museum Publique, uh, actually in Jerusalem. Phoebe is so well remembered in the life of church, though she's only mentioned in one spot in the book of Romans. This is an inscription, the earliest Byzantine that we have discovered actually at the Mount of Olives. Here lies the servant, the bride of Christ, Sophia, the minister, the second, Phoebe. I have a daughter, Lily Faith, and my prayer is, Lily, pray with me that God will make you a second Phoebe, a leader who will confront society with the beauty of the Christian message. It's powerful. This is a brand new one just discovered in 2017 in Bethsaida. Another second Phoebe, a church that has its as its patron. And friends, we just simply can't appreciate this. Do you know who the greatest evangelists were in the first century Jesus movement? Women. The church stopped female infanticide. Sixty four percent of the church was women in A.D. 80. 
They just kept evangelizing. This is why Paul's talking about marriage to unbelieving husbands. It was a real deal in the first century. In Greek, set up by your servant, Susanna. I don't have time to share Misty's story. It's in the book about her experience at Dunkin' Donuts in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. But I do want to close with this very brief story about the collision of worldviews. Audrey and I were unable to get pregnant for five years, so let me just give a disclaimer. Please be careful what you pray for, ladies and gentlemen. God is a big boy. 700 diapers a month is my reality right now. Thank you for buying the book at the table. (laughs) So I I want you to have the context that for five years we were unable to be pregnant and we had a baby, Lily Faith and Justin, and then God kept going. We're like, Lord, you can stop now. We went into the sonogram and it was like a substitute sonogram technician that day. He didn't have much charisma, like charisma, no offense of a substitute school teacher. He went ABC123, and I thought, is he singing a Michael Jackson song? And he said, no, you have three babies, baby A, baby B, baby C. To make a long story very short, it took us time to get into a maternal fetal medicine expert at a fantastic hospital, Texas Children's Hospital, where we're based in Houston. In our first appointment, I invited my mom to join us because I just wanted to make sure we heard everything right. No one would talk to us. People acted scared that we were having triplets, so it made me afraid. Within the first five minutes of the appointment, our doctor walked in with an ominous look on her face, and she said, you have identical twin triplets and one that's non-identical. So Jackson on the far left is not identical. Ryder and Abel are identical. And she said, Ryder and Abel are sharing a placenta. Ryder's pulse is always lower. He's not going to live through the pregnancy. It's unlikely. It's likely he will develop TTTS twin to trend transfer syndrome where he will hoard the nutrients from his brother not only killing him but also endangering your life and friends we're hearing this in the first five minutes and she looks at us and she says now we can offer a fetal reduction and you know some people come this is an international city some people don't want triplets some people don't want any babies now we can take she starts going through the menu we can have one fetal reduction two or all Now, I just want to say something. You talk about a cultural euphemism, a fetal reduction. I would not believe it had I not heard it with my own ears. Of course, my wife took over, a spirit-filled, godly woman. I, I said nothing. And my wife, who's amazing. Amen. Amen, Audrey. My wife said, doctor and she said the name we will trust the lord and i got really bold like paul did about asking people to pray audrey carried those boys to 33 weeks and friends they were born way too healthy they have too much energy (laughs) we haven't slept in three years and what a delight to have you with me for this special message that was given at the wilberforce weekend conference we've got to step away for a break i'll be right back with some final thoughts Well, friends, this is Jeremiah Johnston. Indeed, Christianity is still good for the world. Christianity has blessed our world to such an extent that 
without the gospel of Jesus Christ, without the continuing transformational influence of Christians all over the world, the world would quickly descend into evil and anarchy. It would be truly unimaginable. Let me encourage you, if you don't have a copy of my book, Unimaginable, What the World Would Be Like Without Christianity, go ahead and order it. You can pick it up wherever books are sold, Amazon. We have special pricing on some of the few hardcover copies of Unimaginable, What the World Would Be Like Without Christianity, over at our website, christianthinkers.com. You listen to just a few uh, moments of what is a book that is rich with citations, footnotes, All kinds of research. In fact, as I mentioned in the message there from D.C., there's nearly 40 pages of single-spaced citations. I'm not just making assertions, friends. We can look at the facts of history and see that Christianity has made the world a better place. And guess what? I know these things, but do you? Every Christian needs to know these answers. Is Christianity making the world better and how? And not just in the past when Jesus walked the world, but today. How is Christianity making a difference today? And friends, you need to be prepared. You need to be equipped. You need to be resourced. So let me do that. Let me help you with that. So go ahead and pick up the book. It's unimaginable what the world would be like without Christianity. Definitely check it out. And let me also encourage you to sign up for this fabulous event that's going to happen in just a couple of weeks in Michigan. It's like a mini Wilbur Force conference, as we said. You can definitely check that out. I think there are a few spots that still remain. Thank you so much also for your prayers for this broadcast. Keep continuing to pray for us. Continue to submit your questions through AskJJJ.com, and we will see you next time on The Jeremiah Johnson Show. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play, RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.